Welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. On this episode, I'm chatting with Carl Schweitzer, the founder of Toa Chocolate in Ecuador. Carl was born in the Austrian Alps, surrounded by biodynamic and organic smallholder farmers. At 15, he started studying graphic design and communication and later specialised in brand strategy. He then did a year of volunteer work with street kids in Ecuador, where he met his wife. Social and environmental impact guides his work, along with the belief that nature is the ultimate luxury. At 27, he co-founded Toac, the sustainable luxury chocolate brand that works to preserve an ancient cacao variety in Ecuador. A few years later, he co-founded Zoka, an upcycled cacao-based CPG, and Origin, which focuses on digital supply chain management and transparency. Carl, welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Thank you very much for the invitation. Tell me about you, um, what it is you do for work. Well, um, I like to start where I was born. So I was born surrounded by biodynamic farmers. Apparently, two of them were the first biodynamic farmers in Austria, actually. And that was always a discussion topic on, on the dinner table. Um, so that I would say that marked me for life. Um, it's just one of those things, obviously, but it stands symbolically for many other things um, uh, that were kind of the values of my, of my parents and therefore my family and how I grew up. Um, so thinking about where your food comes from, what uh, biodynamic means, organic means, etc. And yeah, and then I, I, the next milestone I would say was starting to study graphic design because I always loved drawing. I felt it was the one thing I was best at at school <laughs> was drawing and art. Yeah, and then after the first study, I I went to uh, Ecuador for a year with Street Kids and did that volunteer work, met my wife. She's from Quito in Ecuador. And the rest is history. Um, a few years later, I continued my studies in Ecuador and Argentina. Um, and then it was in 2006 that we... Uh, met no 2000 sorry 2013 that we met uh, Jerry and the three of us my wife Jerry and I founded Torg and yeah and that's how this luxury chocolate brand was born and soon Torg started to take up pretty much all of my time and at Torg my role is uh, basically branding director so everything has to do with uh, brand identity, brand strategy, and besides that, which also maybe might come from my graphic design background, the focus on the detail um, is everything has to do with quality. I just like that things are well done in every sense. Also, you know, the flavor of the chocolate itself. So, how did you get to chocolate? <laughs> I, my mom liked dark chocolate um not the one we're producing today at toag um i'm not sure if that kind of you know level of obsession and quality existed back then but dark chocolate was definitely something i was also intrigued by and then so i always liked chocolate you know who doesn't but anyway then when we met jerry i Got in touch with cacao trees in Ecuador, which was completely new to me. Uh, for me as a kid and teenager and young adult um, still, chocolate was born somehow 
in Belgium or Switzerland. That's where the best chocolate, you know, comes from. Uh, and that's where my level of uh, being able to trace the roots of chocolate kind of ended. And then in Ecuador, oh yeah, the introduction to cacao tree. And then in 2013, when we met Jerry, uh, he's from the US and started a conservation project here in Ecuador with a natural reserve in 2006. And he got in touch with cacao through the conservation project, um, makes from the pot, from the fruit to the cup, his own hot chocolate until today um, at the reserve. And he shared that kind of experience with us and we immediately fell in love with it. I Maybe I was the one who got infected the worst. <laughs> I was completely struck by the experience and that's also part of the reason I would say why um, from initially having discussions is, you know, collaborating with Jerry on the idea to um, make, creating a chocolate brand. Uh, within a few months, we were, we were partners and three co-founders. Where was the first time you came into contact with the cacao trees, beans? Um, that was just by traveling through Ecuador, um, somewhere between 2006 and 2013. I can't remember exactly. Um, so we would just, uh, cacao is everywhere in Ecuador. You have in Ecuador four, four main regions or climate zones. You have the Amazon, the Andes, the coast and the Galapagos Islands. And in three of those, um, cacao is growing. So, and cacao is a big, big thing in Ecuador, um, even in history, not only today. Um, so it's an important commodity and yeah, and that's how I got in touch with cacao. Of course, it sparked my interest, but more like from a consumer and passionate dark chocolate aficionado. Um, but then it turned into business, uh, when I met Jerry in 2013. Right. So what was the, I'm, I'm intrigued. So what was the starting process? So you met Jerry and then you kind of, you've come across all these uh, cacao trees and then what sparked the kind of let's start making chocolate? Yeah, so when, when we met Jerry, um, what connected us was a bit of the, let's say the care for the environment and the environmental impact of our work. Um, and based on that connection, we then uh, started, you know, to talk about our lives and what, you know, what we are uh, working on at the moment. And Jerry shared his idea of, he wanted to move from being, you know, focused on building up a non-for-profit project towards also kind of taking care of himself, um, you know, with a lifestyle of living in Ecuador, having family in the US, etc. So he, he doesn't ask for much if we talk about luxury. He doesn't own a, a, an apartment or a car or anything. Um, uh, so he's really deeply focused on, let's say, the his mission in life. Um, but at the same time, he needed uh, a, just a basic income. So he said, um, since he received an inheritance from his grandfather, uh, he wanted to basically... Uh, start a business with it and the, um, the idea was to share the experience that he had with cacao and his passion for cacao with people 
uh, through a product. And in Jerry's words, we just recently, since it, it has been a decade since we started uh, Twag and we first met Jerry uh, now in February. So we looked up, you know, our emails and how the conversation started, which was fun. And in one of the first emails, Jerry already mentions that he would he would like to create something like the iPod of chocolate. And that sparked my interest as well because it sounded, you know, a nice challenge, kind of a game-changing pro chocolate proposal. Yeah, and that was that was how the whole thing uh, started. You know, when you look at the history of chocolate, you soon end up with um, with um, the story that's written about thanks to the Spanish conqueror um, about Mexico, Aztecs, etc. Um, but then the oldest evidence there is 3,800 years. And here in Ecuador, the evidence they found uh, recently is about 5,300 years. So we had this moment of, you know, we want to do a chocolate brand, not any chocolate brand. And at the same time, we realized we had a very privileged place. And then kind of one thing built up to the other. We looked at the, at the um, uh, chocolate market. We, you know, from just, Talking to the industry, we, we received uh, received the insight that craft uh, chocolate makers, like the bean to bar uh, chocolate makers, which is akin to specialty coffee, just they say it's about ten years behind, maybe a bit more. Um, they are struggling because what the consumer is open to pay for above chocolate is really hard to to turn a pro to make a profit with um if you you know focus so much on quality and on top of it um what's a common practice in, in craft chocolates to also care about supply chain uh, transparency about how um the um, the profit is distributed across the supply chain we then decided to um turn toag into a luxury brand another reason was that we came across a very unique uh, cacao variety, which is native to Ecuador and played an uh, important role in, in the history of cacao, actually. Um, it was once the most prized cacao variety um, on the planet, since there was a very small amount. So the first thing I just wanted to ask you is, what is the difference between biodynamic and organic? I would, to simplify it, um, it's what my neighbor explained me when I was a kid. Um, he said, Look, organic is is great. Um, so you you know you make sure, for example, that you don't use pesticides. Um, we were labeled also organic at Torque at the beginning, so we also know kind of the nitty gritty details of what actually is part of the audit, etc. Um, you you know we took once we took soil samples, for example, to make sure there are no chemicals in the ground, um, and then there's some kind of good labor practices associated with it. Um, but with biodynamic, it's just another another level. Um, so, for example, our neighbor uh, was very, paid a lot of attention to the moon cycle. The moon has a huge influence uh, in biodynamic, it's very important biodynamic farming. Um, so you get into, let's say, another step further towards the relationship with the environment um not just making sure you don't use nasty uh, chemicals but you actually care about the 
well-being of the plants, um, which you know has to do with the holistic, a bit more holistic, I would say, approach towards uh, farming than organic. And so, do you do you have your own plantation? Yeah. So, Tohak um, until today would like to own uh, some land, but it just hasn't been the right moment to make that strategic move yet. So we have been working with um, 12 to 14 smallholder farmers in Ecuador at the coast, somewhere in the back country. Um, they own about one to three hectares of cacao, um, each of them. Uh, so that's that. That's what Toag worked with um, so far. And then we are collaborating deeply with the NGO from Jerry. Um, the reserve is has now about a thousand hectares of protected forest, and uh, together with with TMA, it's the name of the uh, of the NGO, Third Millennium Alliance. We developed a program where those families then start a regenerative uh, agroforestry project, and cacao is one of no, it's actually the uh, most important cash crop that's going to generate income for those families. So they basically just need a premium price for cacao. Um, just yesterday, Jerry confirmed that they already have um, the first three buyers and for the next one or two years, that means that their initial production is outmaxed, um, which is great. And so within those uh, cacao plants, that are going to be introduced in the very biodiverse forest system. Uh, about 10% of it, um, we're going to use pure Nacional cacao, which Nacional is that variety I mentioned before, a very you know special variety that um, has a strong link to history. Uh, so Nacional cacao was declared on the brink of extinction, which is a bit of a insight into Toag story and you know what we what we tell people when they approach our brand. So Nacional Cacao was on brink of brink of extinction. We found after two rounds of DNA tests uh, nine mother trees, and we used that genetic material together with TMA to through grafting to rep, replicate or clone those nine mother trees, which um, actually was covered by National Geographic in 2018. And at the same moment, that was part of the coverage, um, we were able to transplant the first 200 baby trees from the nursery into into plot um, of the reserve. And now with the families, this kind of initial efforts are going to multiply. So now we're talking about thousands of clones that are going to be distributed, not on one single spot, which makes it still quite fragile, um, where the genetic bank is located. But now actually that cacao variety is going to spread um, into different parts um, around that region, which makes the survival, uh, the possibility of survival just uh, much bigger. And also, there's, you know, it's kind of the seed of a comeback of a cacao variety that played an important role. That's kind of the, the, the beauty part of, um, of Toag, being able to preserve something like that. Is that the um, underlying story that you are 
Um, you're working with families, there's regeneration, you, you're focusing on environmental concerns, social concerns, um, and then you've also got this amazing um, um, access to this amazing um, bean, which you then turn into chocolate. That's basically it. I would say then also what I would add to this is, I would say that's the core. And we recently said maybe we change our claim from our slogan uh, from experienced chocolate to rediscover chocolate because we realized that people um, by tasting chocolate from Toag, where we try to you know elevate chocolate to a level of fine wine or or whiskey or just really high quality um, food experiences. Um, I mean, if you think about it, and sorry for for talking about that separate topic for a moment, but I think it's important to understand part of the obsession uh, behind TOAG. Um, turns out that, and that's that's based on science, not just, I don't know, us being <laughs> getting crazy about cacao. Um, so a few numbers. Uh, about 95% of cacao today in the world is considered conventional cacao. It tastes like chocolate. That's about it. Um, so all confectionery and you know whatever, even dark some many dark chocolate bars are made with that kind of cacao. And then there's another quality um, category which is called fine flavor cacao, um, and most of that is heirloom cacao varieties like Nacional, which I already mentioned, which is the obsession of Toag. And that that five percent has actually over seven hundred fifty flavor po- uh, compounds. Uh, or is able to, or, you know, some of them. What does that mean, 750 flavor compounds? Yeah. So to, to make it easy, um, it, we, we like to compare what we do often with wine because it's just much better studied and understood. There's more, you know, culture uh, substance around it. Uh, so that means, depending on the study uh, that we have been looking into, it means that we are talking about two to four times as complex as wine when you talk about 750 flavor compounds. Some claim it's even over a thousand. Um, so cacao is a very, very flavor complex product. Um, I don't know. I haven't come across a more complex product actually. Uh, might be the most complex one. So it's kind of a very unique creation from nature, which we enjoy a lot. Um, but so far mostly through um, confectionery. But if it's, you know, if it's so filled with uh, different aroma uh, components, then as, as actually many others, um, we are on a mission to share this side of cacao and chocolate with people. You can actually enjoy chocolate like a great, you know, just a really nice glass of wine or a really um, well-crafted whiskey. And so elevating chocolate onto that level um, is what we experienced that is eye-opening to people um, it connects them then with nature because it kind of always goes back to nature. Um, there's one thing I like to say about you know our our end product is that the quality of our chocolate. I would say that nature does something like 95% of it. As long as you have a great cacao from a healthy ecosystem, and you don't mess it up all the way to the chocolate bar, most likely you're going to have a delicious chocolate bar. 
and then the other five percent is just the the skill set of the of the craftsman behind craftsmanship behind it of um you know controlling fermentation all the nerdiness about actually starting at the land picking the trees the um the the right pods etc all the way through to the chocolate bar so all those steps are the things that separate you from other chocolatiers or chocolate makers there's obviously some alchemy and science in all of this oh yes <laughs> i like the term alchemy so about the science side of it and the craftsmanship at TOAG, we often discuss how the science angle and how we approach chocolate and what we do is important to us we are obsessed with the quality of the outcome and wherever we need to dig a bit deeper into the scientific side of things in that part you know in the chocolate making we do it um, to adjust things so that because our obsession is i would say the end product then with the innovation which i mentioned briefly for example there's no science whatsoever that we you know you could could um, go back to about aging chocolate so you know that's what i mean maybe with we we care about you know we are, we have uh, we we care about science um we dig into it when we need it um uh, as deep as we need it but at the same time we you know we try to not lose ourselves in it uh, and i think that's good because otherwise how would we have been able to come up with chocolate aging when there's no scientific um background to it uh, so that just says a lot again about trial and error. Scientists gave us uh, important input, so we discussed it with the uh, UC Washington and the enologists from the uh, department of um, uh, that does research around wine, um, and they helped us with some key insights and ideas um about how we could approach a aging chocolate well things like i was going to ask you about aging chocolate is that something that is, is that something that's unique to you because i'd never heard about aging chocolate before um yes it's it's pretty unique to us uh, there's another brand in italy which um we came across that brand a bit later into the game we realized they were around for about the same time. Um, but I would say we, we are probably pioneering um, it on a, on a global scale um, just because we take it very seriously. Um, we experiment a lot with it. We have long-term aging. We have chocolate that has been aged by now for nine years. Um, so I would say, you know, we are able to claim that we are pioneering that space of long-term chocolate aging. Yeah. And, and so what does that, um, I mean, obviously that means <laughs> aging, but what is, is there a specific process that you have to use to age the chocolate or it do, is it like wine that you let it rest over a period of time? Basically you let it rest. Yes. When you leave a chocolate bar on your table for weeks or months and you taste it versus maybe the same that you, leave wrapped somewhere um, in a drawer, dark, the right temperature. And then you compare those two. 
the one on the table is going to taste very plain and boring versus the other one's going to still taste fresh and vivid. We realized that uh, things like flavors that initially were very strong uh, become more mellow. So you kind of cut the peaks um, of certain flavor uh, uh, aromas that stand out at the beginning. It's a bit like a young wine and the wine that had time to rest. Um, but then also acidity changes, sensation um, around around chocolate changes over uh, over a period of time. That's associated with oxygen. Then on the other side, uh, we also and that's the the, the fun playground is uh, approach it like whiskey. So the most of the flavor profile comes from the container. In the case of the whiskey, the cask. So you have the wood, you have the liquor. Um, like with the Scotch whiskey, for example, um, you have the liquor that was previously in the cask, like, I don't know, like Pedro Jimenez or whatever, uh, that contribute flavor. So we approach chocolate very similar. We do cask aging with all kinds of casks from all over the world. Um, we do, we build our own little wooden boxes, which are the same concept as a fresh bourbon cask, let's say. So we use the the pure flavor profile of a specific wood uh, variety and that gets absorbed by the chocolate um, so you get all kinds of flavors out of wood from vanilla you get um, smoke you get uh, mediterranean herbs you get etc and even like specialty ingredients like camp uh, pepper or palo santo wood that's what makes your chocolate quite unique. Yes, many people say that aging, aging is is one of the things that for them stand out because it's just very innovative and you know different of how to add more layers to the flavor profile of a chocolate bar. Yeah, because when I mean often when I talk to people about luxury, the thing they talk to me a lot about is time. So this strike, mm. this sounds to me like you know the, the the process from the from the bean to the time that you eat it you know there's a a timely um process of maturing uh before you actually eat it yes i agree there's time plays an important role pretty much everywhere um in Toag. so the time also it takes to unwrap our products uh it's not you know your candy bar uh, the time it takes to read our instructions, our story, even the time it takes to take the chocolate bar then from the table to your mouth. So we, for the more expensive editions, we added a little tasting utensil so that you smell first before you pop it in your mouth. Um, so the fact of time is important. And I think it, yeah, it just makes a lot of sense because we are talking about a more conscious approach towards what you are consuming, which, you know, it's very, very common in other areas like wine. Um, it's different to have, I don't know. Um, I remember family trips to, to Greece and, you know, you have the table wine and you wouldn't, you know, there was no big discussion about the quality of the wine. It was just, mm, it's good. Um, versus then a, you know, a more, I would say the other extreme is, is a vertical wine tasting where you sit for an hour and sip and reflect and take notes and um, 
and but there's a lot of space in between right to enjoy food um without getting too geeky i it's interesting that you know you are preserving something you're preserving a, a bean for you know for future generations to enjoy that like you said had you not kind of intervened in effect you know we might have lost that forever yeah does that make uh does that make the turk chocolate luxury yes i would say so because that's what it that's what it started with with that ancient cacao variety and the reflection on uh how limited it is on the brink of extinction means there's not much um and then if you have a limited resource which is kind of the one of one of the f- basic formulas that luxury brands use is that you have something that's very limited therefore it's expensive and then well you know it it ends up in the luxury market which is just it's just a definition of a niche that's left when the market is dominated by uh by you know what we call a conventional uh, system which is it fights for volume versus price and and scale and then if you have a product that's you know that needs a lot of time to produce and there's little of it you can't compete in that space so then there's a niche for it which is called the luxury market and that's where the expensive precious stuff is located with all kinds of different strategies and stories but still we are part part of that cuz not all luxury is about that is it i mean you know no, exactly mm-hmm. depends how you <laughs> your definition of luxury i know from reading about um what you do that there's a uh, an emphasis on the narrative do all the chocolates that you sell have different characteristics dependent on you know on age and on the barrel that it might be kept in before before it's sold transparency is important we actually started um as another startup later on in toak which is called origin and it's a technology uh, that tries to uh offer a supply chain management and transparency solution and we invented like we started that because we just weren't satisfied with how you know fair fair trade certifications for example work um where we were asked to pay 10% above the market price when the market price was not sustainable for farmers neither is 10% above that and we pay um so if we compare it in percentages um well let's move to multiples which is easier uh 3 to 8 times the fair trade price instead of the 10% above um so it's just you know there's no comparison of what we actually do versus the stamp that was one one point then with the organic certifications also with what we paid the certifier we knew we could do so much things that we then could report through a technology directly to the consumer which goes far beyond just having a stamp that you you know trust uh so we thought with an external audit you get that factor of you know trustworthiness but then you can communicate much more than just a little stamp that says organic to the consumer we can do more soil samples like in investing that money differently um we did one uh for the certifier we we worked with in four or five years that we were certified one soil sample that we have 
you know, 14 farms. We could do a soil sample from each farm every year. It's not that expensive. It just wasn't required. So we thought we want more transparency and, and transparency for us is, is very important. Um, all the way from when people visit us at our office, they ask, uh, are we allowed to take photos? It's like, sure, take whatever you want. There's no secret. Um, and that also brings me just for a moment back to your question. Do you have competitors? Um, I, I read, uh, one of the main or the books that influenced my thinking the most when it comes to luxury strategy is actually the book called luxury strategy by Capra and Bastian. Um, and one of their, uh, rules is there's no competition in luxury. And, and that's something I feel at talk and it's actually something very nice to be honest, because we have very good relationships with many chocolate brands. Um, the ones that are, you know, just open to create a relationship. Um, because we don't feel that we really have competition. We just, um, we are very unique and our customers come to Toag not comparing, I don't know, the, the price of the bar or, or the, the flavor profile versus the other one or, or the level of geekiness or I don't know. It's just, they buy into the whole story. They buy the full experience. Um, and they just then connect emotionally with it, like the product and that's the click. And then, you know, we don't fear that there's competition who could take away that kind of customer from us. And then coming back to your questions about, um, how we work with cacao and, you know, uh, that brings me to how we, how we manage quality around cacao and talk. So we have, um, basically we have, well, it's going to get a bit more complicated in the future, but the basic system we was inspired by the wine, uh, quality system or one of them. So we built our own, but inspired by wine. Uh, so our grand crew is basically the one that's the oldest kind of the cluster that holds the oldest trees. Um, it's Elum Cacao, but ancient Nacional, like trees that are very old. And it also has the highest Nacional DNA amount, uh, up to 100%. And we couldn't test all of our trees. We tested 47 out of, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trees. Um, but still we, you know, we created a profile and, uh, identified uh, especially the Grand crew trees, um, we know each one of them. They're marked with a number, etc., which is uh, a lot of work on the field. And then the next one would be the Primer crew, where you have just a slightly lower age and then slightly lower uh, national DNA level, um, but still very high national DNA. And then the second crew is already mixed with, you know, the, the DNA amount of other heirloom cacao varieties is higher. Uh, national DN, DNA is, is still is yet a step lower, um, on average. And that cacao, I mean, to, just to put it in a context for a second, that cacao is still, you know, within the 5%, it's still within the, the 
the top part of those 5%. So we're still talking about you know, the part of the best cacao in the world. Uh, it's just that at, at Toag, we are so picky and go into the nitty gritty details of DNA and classification. Um, but that's how we approach it. So, and then when it comes to the products, the most expensive products um, contain obviously the ancient Nacional and part of the Premier crew. Then we have the, um, the next level of products, which is still about pure dark chocolate, also the chocolate you know, that's aged, um, that contains Premier crew. And then uh, with the drinking chocolate, for example, and the 100% cacao powder, and our new collection, uh, it's called Alchemy, that contains also other ingredients, like rare, um, unique ingredients from, from Ecuador, like just to name, well, not only Ecuador actually, but the region around the Ecuadorian area that we're located, all the way into Peru and Colombia. So you have Amazonian ants, um, you have, I don't know, achote um, and shuar peanut, macambo, which are uh, Amazonian or rainforest nuts, etc. And that one, all of those uh, products are made with uh, the second crew. So it's just younger, much more productive uh, trees. So you have much more cacao. And of course, that's why we can uh, use it for additions that come at the lower price point and we produce more volume. So that's kind of what separates you out from other chocolatiers or other chocolate makers because you know with um in europe you'll know you know in the old days godiva and leonidas used to be kind of the luxury chocolate and then pier marcolini became a luxury chocolate and then like you were saying you've got all these smaller bean to bar type uh chocolate makers um but it's it sounds like you know, the, the emphasis on your supply chain is very much around speciality in terms of, you know, being able to identify, you know, what tree a bean or a bar comes from. And that's what makes the, you know, the experience very unique and very special. Yes, I would say so. So there's, there's that part. And then also in the, in the making, of course, there's, you know, just there's craftsmanship that there's a certain skill set um, and that leads then together with everything else you just mentioned, craftsmanship on the top, uh, that leads to an end product that's just unique. And then the consumer decides um, if you know it's worth spending whatever the branch charges for that product. And so do you think craftsmanship is, is linked to luxury? I mean, do you think the two ne necessarily go together? Oh, yes, of course. In our case, um, it's it's very clear. Um, design, as, uh, there's craftsmanship in in many areas of Toag. So we talked about uh, chocolate making, cacao chocolate making, and then we could talk about design, which is my my other area, or my main area, I would say. And in the whole area of product design and and everything else actually <laughs> what that has to be has to do with um whatever the business needs from the, the, the world of design um there's a lot of craftsmanship involved uh for example with the packaging uh which is a very obvious one we have wooden boxes that we collaborate with 
local craftsmen with. And people are surprised when they see our product and we tell them that it's, it's made entirely in Ecuador. Um, because Ecuador is just not known for luxury products, which means really high quality um, end product in every sense, not just the chocolate, but also the packaging. Uh, so yeah, for me, craftsmanship was always a topic, finding the right craftsman. That's um, interesting in Ecuador because you, since there's not really a market for it, you basically have those hidden gems that dedicated, and I, I have two examples. One is the um, our beautiful presentation boxes of the reserve collection, and then the wooden boxes that come as part of it. So you have the paper and the wood, and both suppliers, they were doing really random things uh, before we approached them. But obviously we approached many of them. We received endless amounts of prototypes and tested many, many potential suppliers. And those two, they just stood out. They had this, this something, the spark of, of a luxury craftsman. They were able to just take it to another level reach the quality that we were looking for um, through deeper collaboration and a lot of patience and dedication. And yeah, so there's craftsmanship is pretty important. Yes. And so just before we end, I want to ask you, because we've not actually mentioned the taste, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is really important. We're talking about chocolate. Of course. Yeah. How do you, um, how would you describe what your chocolate, can you describe what your chocolate tastes like? Um, yeah. So <laughs> to start with, it's not some magical creation um, that's out of the other universe. Although some clients told us they think it is. Um, but from my more humble perspective, I think that at the end of the day, our product is, is chocolate. But then we, I would say we elevated um, connecting certain things because you could also just eat our chocolate the same as, you know, you might drink two cup, uh, cups of wine, sorry, two glasses of wine. And then realize later that, you know, one of them was actually a very unique vintage with a rich story behind it. But you were just drinking it as you were focused with your mind and all the senses on something else. Um, also, it requires to deeper appreciate anything, um, really. Uh, the same applies to chocolate. It needs a bit of dedication. You need to train your senses to get the deeper nuances of, of a good dark chocolate bar. Um, so I would describe the experience as um, you get a, a, a very rich journey into what chocolate, uh, from our pers perspective, should taste like. So you have complexity, um, you will come across signature flavors um, for Nacional Cacao like the floral aromas, like jasmine and orange blossom, um, which are in decline as well, which makes sense because they're associated with Nacional Cacao. Um, through aging then, oh, in a vertical tasting uh, 
between different harvest years, you'll be able to realize how chocolate actually tastes different just by the different conditions um, between each year. Uh, so that's that's just an experience on its own. And then when we move into aging, aging just adds another layer on it. So you then compare, for example, a chocolate from 2019 pure, which has more fruity notes. You get, um, you get for example, 2019 was, uh, you had mandarin, so this citric uh, twist to it. You had caramel, cashew nuts, um, also the, the jasmine, the signature jasmine. But then when we aged it, for example, with Palo Santo, you suddenly get another layer of coconut, eucalyptus, mint. And then, you know, it's all happening at the same time. There's a beginning and, and an end to it, but still they're evolving. One comes out, the other one, you know, um, uh, disappears. So it's, it's a nice little journey. And then with alchemy, for example, uh, we tried to make that kind of journey more accessible uh, so that you don't feel you need to be a connoisseur, an expert to appreciate, you know, when you spend that amount of money on it. Um, so with alchemy, which also price point is more accessible, we added other ingredients. The experience is, is just it's stronger, it's more, um, it's, it's easier to experience for yourself, even if you don't have uh, the training in, in chocolate tasting, or you don't have, don't even has to be chocolate tasting, but you can, can come from coffee, from whiskey, from wine, whatever. Um, if you're not able to differentiate that level of complexity in, in aromas, with alchemy, you're still able to get all the stronger, um, flavors that just take you on a journey into into this world that many people don't know Ecuador is not that uh, that not not that you know well known um, in Europe and, and the US it's a very exotic country for European and, and US co uh, consumers so yeah I would say that's a, a journey that's very approachable and you will be able to taste things that you don't even know how to put names to it. I mentioned Macambo, which is the cousin of cacao. Tastes nothing like cacao. It's more like the texture you would associate with a nut. Then you have cacao, which maybe you could associate with hazelnut. Um, or you have Sacha Inchi, which is uh, very rich in omega oils. Um, basically a vegetarian alternative to fish when you look at the nutrition stand, uh, side of it, and also like something you just never tasted before. And the, maybe the, 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 the strangest one, the one for the adventurous, would be umami tukupi, which is a very strong umami experience in a chocolate bar, which is, you know, not very common. Um, but it's our take on uh cacao in ancient cultures you know those cultures as far as we know they didn't really consume sugarcane um so it was mostly a savory food that contained cacao and in this case it's a very savory experience to have 
umami in your chocolate with a, a very a soft touch of spice from the chili. And it will just blow your taste buds and your mind. <laughs> That's what people told us. Okay. It's just something they never tasted before. On that note, that was quite a journey in, in understanding the diversity of, of taste within kind of the world of chocolate, which is it's a minefield, it seems to me. Mm, oh, yes. <laughs> On that note, I, um, I want to end as I end with all my conversations with everybody and ask you, what is your luxury? My luxury is nature, as I said before. Brilliant. Carl, thank you so much for joining us on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. It was very nice uh, to exchange some ideas and stories. Thanks so much, Carl. Thank you to our sponsors, Intellect Books, and thank you for listening. And don't forget, you can catch up on all previous episodes of the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast on your favorite listening channel.